I'm going to talk to you about speaking the mountain, but I'm going to do it with my story. Now, Mark 11 starts out. Now when Jesus, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to the Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, uh, this is Jesus going to Bethany, to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. That's where he always stayed when he went. He never spent the night inside the city of Jerusalem. He stayed at their house. There were his friends. And uh, that's about, Bethany's about two miles from, uh, we would say, uh, to or around that from Jerusalem, coming Eastern Gate, which is walled up now, came through that, down through the Valley of Kidron, up across the side of the Mount of Olives and down to Bethany. And uh, here it says, and this, this was, if you go to read to John, you'll see it was six days before the Passover. And, and then he, he, this is when he sent them, and you read there, and they got the colt, he rode into Jerusalem, and they were hollering Hosanna, so forth and so on. And it would just be a few days later that they would be hollering, they would be saying, crucify him. Uh, that's, that's what Palm Sunday's all about. And then in verse 11, it said, Jesus went into Jerusalem, into the temple. So he looked around all the things. The hour was late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if it perhaps would, he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing on it but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Well, you say, well, it wasn't the season. Well, but the tree had leaves, and if it had leaves, it's saying it had fruit. So it was early, but it didn't have any fruit. In response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now they went on into Jerusalem. And this is when he drove the money changers out and so forth. And when evening, verse 19, when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, this is the next day. As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus said and said to him, have faith in God. Literal translation, have the faith, the God kind of faith or the kind of faith that God has. For surely, here's 23, for surely as I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things he says, he shall have whatever he says. Now, this message, I call it, Speak to Your Mountain. Now, we all have mountains. Now, I'm not talking about a literal mountain. I'm talking about mountains of problems and troubles and so forth and so on. First time I ever left Texas, uh, went to the Rocky, went, drove to California with Dad and my, when I was 15. Uh, we got out there and saw those Rocky Mountains and they were something to behold. Now, we're talking, he uses mountains, a literal thing, but actually 
if you do some study, you'll find out that figuratively speaking, that is talking about our troubles, our, our whatever. So, and he tells us the way to get rid of them is to believe in your heart and speak with your mouth. Now, everybody has seen the Hagans in the years that we have now. I'm going to take you back. I'm going to sit down and teach. Bible said Jesus sat down and talked. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to January of 1949. I, it was the middle of my third grade year in school. And had left that church. It was the best church we ever had, the best parsonage we ever had. Everything was great. And we moved to Gladewater, Texas, which is not very far from Van, because Mama and Papa Goodwin, Mr. Brother Sister J.R. Goodwin, they were my mom and dad's mentors. And I remember as a kid when we would drive, we would, dad, dad, all, he only pastored he pastored Farmersville twice, Gregton, Talco, and Van. And uh, they, we would drive, and then in between those, he would be evangelist and travel. And we would all, we would drive by, and we'd drive. He would drive out of his way to go by and talk to Mama, Papa, Goodwin, and pray with them. And so they pastored the church there in Gladewater. And so we moved there to be close to them. And the church was here on old Highway 80, and their parsonage was behind it. And there was a motel over there, probably maybe 400 yards from their backyard called Bird Motel. It probably wasn't much bigger than that. We is a little studio motel room, probably wasn't much bigger than this stage. When you walk in, as you walk in, there was a couch here and a table and then a half half wall and a little U-shaped kitchen, a bathroom. And then on, when you walk in the door on this side, there was a, a bedroom and it had just enough room in it to have, have a, a, a double-sized bed back in those days. And one nightstand and you could barely get by on this side and get the closet open. And my sister and my cousin, Ruth, I call her my sister cousin, she came to live with us when she was 16 and lived with us until she got married. And my, and my, my aunt's oldest girl. There was about eight, ten of us cousins, and we're all, and they were, most of them were hers, except... And except me and me and my sis, and then Terry, Uncle Pat's son, and uh, we are all about two years apart. And we all grew up together, so you know. And uh, so there's Aunt Ruth and I, and my sis and Terry. I guess the only ones left now. I've done the funeral for two of them. <laughs> my sis preached their their deals, but uh, so. They had, Ruth and, and Pat, my sister, had this. Now, it wasn't a hide-a-bed, y'all. Now, I got, I got some people in here with gray hair, so 
and uh, I know they know what I'm talking about. Mine would be great too if it wasn't for my wife. She don't like me to. She don't like me to tell this. But the first five years of our ministry, well, we would have never made it. She was, she's, a, she's a hairdresser, and so she said, I don't like it, and I can do something about it. So she does. <laughs> she hates for me to say that, but anybody that has any sense knows that, that I would. <laughs> that, that, anyway. <laughs> We've been, we'll be married 58 years when... This coming de- December, so it's okay. We learn how to work with one another, and it's one of them beds where you, you know the couches where you lift it up and it and it clicks and the back falls down. You know, I mean, know what I'm talking about? I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, the Bible says, "Let him that's ignorant be ignorant still." Oh, I'm kidding. And. Mom had the, the bed here, and yours truly had a rollaway bed. Now, most of you don't even know what a rollaway bed is, but it's got, it's, got, it's got a base on it about like this, and it's got four wheels on it, and it folds up, and you got a metal deal that hooks it together. Well, inside of that U where the kitchen was, you know, you had the, the sink and cabinet and then the stove it was just I could take the and lay that bed down and push it in there and then let this end down and then crawl in because there was just enough room for it to fit there that's where I was now we were there and things weren't going very good financially at all and so in the summer we moved to Garland, Texas, and uh, to where my mom and dad's best friends, I called them Brother and Sister Wood. They were, you know, I've known them all my life, well, all of my life, I can remember. And uh, Brother Wood was the pastor of the First Assembly Church there in Garland, and he he had acquired some real estate, and this, this old, it was an old house, had the porch halfway around it, and they just cut it up, and they had three rooms on this side and three rooms on this side, and that was, and they'd made apartments out of it. And I don't know whether he just let Dad stay there or whether Dad paid him because we didn't have him hardly no money at all. And uh, so here's the living room, bedroom, kitchen, little screened-in back porch. Okay. I had how bed will travel, so it's either on that, it's either on the back porch or in the kitchen, because that's the only one it was. And now, see why I'm telling you this? I, I want you to get a hold of this because this is important. And finances were really bad. We were eating either navy beans or red beans and cornbread every day. I really was glad when Sunday got there because mom would get a roast and some potatoes and carrots and gravy and we'd have a, we'd have a, that that occasionally we might have some fried bologna but most of the time it was beans and cornbread. And so now I start the 4th grade and then we were there and man it it I I can't 
at school. Now I get up for fifth grade, sixth grade, things are happening. I can't go to anything at school. I don't have any money to go to anything, to do anything. And we moved to another one of Brother Wood's places, and it had a little more room. And it did have the living room, the kitchen, a little eating area, and then a bedroom, and then a big screen in back porch. And their, their bathroom was here on that screen in back porch. It was a large one, and ours was over here. That's the only place I had, so I put my bed there. So if they come out, whoever's on the other side, if they come out to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, there I am over here. <laughs> That's, you know. And I'm in the sixth grade by this time. And, or the, uh, yeah, sixth grade. And I am starting to get a little bit t- tired of all this mess. I said, you know, I, said, I, I can't do anything. I can't go to any of the parties at school. And I barely have enough, enough clothes to wear to school. In fact, I had, and when school would start, I would get five pair of jeans and five shirts and five pair of sets of underwear and a new pair of shoes, and that's what I wore to school. And I didn't, when I come home, I put on the last year's clothes, and they were, you know, I was outgrowing them, most of them. And so now the seventh grade comes, and I'm really starting to, get, you know, uh, really upset. So I rode my bike home from school one day, and of course, Dad would be gone. He would, he would come in, and he, he had come sometimes. He'd just drive in enough to eat, eat a meal with us and get in the car and drive to preach somewhere else. And he'd be gone sometime three, four, five. One time he was gone 12 weeks before he ever come home. But <clears throat> so, and he... What he would do, he would usually, he would start a meeting on a Wednesday night. He was preaching in churches all over the state of Texas. And he'd start a meeting on Wednesday night, and then they'd go two weeks or three weeks. He'd close it on a Sunday night. And if he's close enough, he'd try, try to drive in and see us, but most time he wasn't. So I rode my bike home from school because I had to ride over. That was on Walnut Street, and I had to get over in Avenue D, which was on couple of miles, I guess. And uh, his car was sitting there. And I went in and I, you know, typical teenager. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm in the seventh grade, so it's early (laughs) fifties. And I'm a typical teenager. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I said, you're supposed to be in, so I forgot where you were. He said, well, they wanted to close the meeting early, and I, it's all right with me because I hadn't been home in a while. And so, and they said, besides that, I got something to talk to you guys about. I said, okay. And he, I said, I got homework, so I went in and got it. And, and <clears throat> Mom got supper ready, and by this time, Ruth is married. And so uh, we sat down, and we ate supper, and after supper, he, uh, oh, for you young people, that's, that, that's what we used to call it, was breakfast, dinner, and supper. <laughs> y'all call it dinner now, and y'all call it lunch. We called it dinner, and y'all called it lunch at the middle of the day. So I help y'all out. And <laughs> so, in fact, Lynette will tell you, even the ministers, they were talking about him not taking care of his family and his family not having what. And so he said, okay. Here's what we got to do. 
See, we had no trouble getting healed. He, that scripture right there, Mark 11, 23, he walked off a bed of affliction. 16 years of age, many of you, how many of you know his story? You know his story, most of you do. But we had no trouble getting, he, getting healed. So he said, listen, I'm praying and God dealt with me. He said, we've got to do the same thing for finances that I did for healing, that we do for healing. We've got to start saying it. See, I, y'all, most of y'all saw us when we, we, we were a long way from there. And so he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. He said, on, I'm going to write your mother. We didn't have no cell phones back then, kids. <laughs> and you didn't make a long-distance phone call unless it was absolutely necessary. <laughs> and you didn't do that till after 6 o'clock. I see, a lot, I see a lot of people shaking their heads. They know what I'm talking about. But he would be at a place two and three weeks, so they would write at one another. And he said, I'm going to write her, and I'm going to tell her. I said, now, right now, today, we're going to agree, and we're going to say that we're going to get a certain amount of money in the offering. Yeah. Amen. Now, back in those days, there wasn't no such thing as they just passed the offering plates and then they just dump it in the visiting speaker's briefcase and whatever it was, that's what you got. Now y'all, some of y'all looking at me funny, but that's the way they did it. Now, so we said, okay. And he said, now I'll write your mother and I'll tell her the time of day and I'll just for the, for the hours, because by this time now he was starting to go out of the state of Texas. And he said, wherever you're at, you don't have to say it out loud. You can say it underneath your bed. Just say, this week, we're going to receive X amount of dollars in the offering. And he said, every time you think about it, you say it. Well, a seventh grade boy that doesn't get anything but beans and cornbread, he can think about it a lot because <laughs> he's hungry. And also, his, he can't go anywhere. He can't do anything. So I say it all the time. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it didn't happen overnight, but we can, he, the dad said, keep saying it. We got to keep saying it. Now they've got a CD out there that I pulled out of a, a I pulled it out of a, a set. It used to be in one of them cassette tape albums. It's called faith for saying it by faith for finances by saying it. And uh, it, this is what we learned. This is what. So now we start saying it. And really nothing's happening much. And dad, he said, don't, don't worry about it, son. Just keep saying it. Keep saying it. Keep saying it. So we did. And oh, hey, about four months went by. And, and he came in and, and he said, and, and things were looking up. And he even gave me a little money. $5 bill. And, <laughs> you know, and things were starting to look up. But we, it had been four months. But we were still, you know, if some of you heard him preach, and he would say he, he wasn't at the bottom of the barrel. He was under the barrel. Anybody, <laughs> any of y'all heard him say that? Well, I was there with him. 
And let me tell you what, it ain't no fun. See, he don't tell you all this side of the story. And so we started saying it and things picking up a little bit. And then mom got to where she could go and to the beauty shop to get her hair fixed. And so she started going down to the beauty shop and get her hair fixed. At, and it was in a house. And the, in fact, later on, not I didn't know it then, but later on, they we went to Brother Wood pastored First Assembly in Garland and Lynette's mom and dad pastored Southside Assembly over here in that side of town. And this person went to that church, we found out later. So mom is going there and and so uh, she came home and she told, she, dad was came home and she said, listen, Kenneth, said they're go- they, Ruth was telling me today that they're going to move out of that house they're gonna, and, and they're going to rent it. And dad said, find out how much. So now he said, okay, this is, we're going to start saying, we got to still keep saying what we, what we need in the meeting for the, for the, our, to live on. But now we're going to start saying we're going to get X amount of dollars so we can move into that house. So we started doing it. Did it happen overnight? No. But by the time I was in the eighth grade, we were able to move into that house. And uh, that's a picture of it right there. And you see, there is, if you're looking at it, Straight on, there's a door going in that way. Living living room, there's a door going in that way, and you see a window there. Well, that was where her beauty shop was because it had an out, outside entrance there. That became my bedroom, and you can see that's a gravel driveway. That's 400 South Third, Garland, Texas. Now, what you can't see because it's not in the picture is Chunky Mooney's house, which is right just the other side of that driveway. My my best buddy, uh, we we grew we grew up together after I moved there, and uh, there if you can see on the side there, there's a window, and in his bedroom was right here, and we would talk, raise the windows, <laughs> and talk in the summertime, in the spring, and so now here, they there's the house, that's my bedroom, I'm in eighth grade, that's the first bedroom I've had I've had. And all I had to put in there was my rollaway bed. So I put it in there. <clears throat> and I told Dad, I said, well, Dad, I, I need a bedroom suit. And he said, well, you're going to have to get it, and you know how. So I said, okay, okay. So the first guy I told, I told Chunky Mooney, I said, Chunky, I'm going to get a bedroom suit. Because he had been over there. He knew it. And he said, when? I said, I'm going to get a bedroom suit, Chunky. And I said that for probably maybe four months or more. I don't know how long I said it, but I kept saying it. I, every time I'd think, go in that room, I'd, I'd say it. Now, we, Dad came in from a meeting, and we went up to Sherman to, to Mom's brother, Uncle Guy. And when he, he was, he come, I remember him going to, when he, I don't remember the war. I was born in 39, so when in 
41, uh, December 41, I was just over a year, I just turned a year old in, in September, but I do remember later on that my uncles went to war and, and I remember he and his wife divorced him while he was in the army. And so he stayed with us for a while, some, and, but they were working up there in, at the cotton mill in Sherman and we went up there to see him and he had remarried this lady and she had had a son Charles, and uh, <clears throat> so we went up there to see him, and we're sitting there, and she said, oh, by the way, Kenneth Wayne, of course, that's what my fan, if I go back home and I hear somebody holler Hagen, I know it's somebody I went to school with, because from the time we was in the fifth grade till up till, I went by Hagen, because there was five of us, so we were Kenneth, Kenny, and, and, and there was five of us guys, so we had to get names, so... Kenneth Leatherwood, we called him Leather. I was Hagen. Hunter, Kenneth Hunter, we called him Hunter. So, you know, <laughs> and if I hear somebody holler Kenneth Wayne, I know it's either family or somebody that, that was close, it's close enough to be family. I, I don't know, maybe they don't do that nowadays, but I have friends and people that come over and they were like family. I mean, Thomas Chambers, I'd go to his place or he'd come to my place and and Dixie would treat me just like Mama, and she'd tell me what to do and what not to do. And, <laughs> and my mom would do the same thing with Tom. And so she, uh, she said, Kenneth Wayne, Charles graduated from high school, and he went and joined the Air Force, and he said he's going to make a career out of it, and he did. And uh, said, you see that bedroom in there? Said, there's two there's two twin beds in there. They can either be bunk beds or be twin beds. They said it's it's hand-carved solid oak. There's the bed, the mattress, and a mirror, and a chest. You can have it if you want it. Yeah. I wanted it. And I took it and I put it in that room, and my mom, nev- my mom never had to tell me to clean up a room. If you, ain't, if you hadn't had something and you get it, you keep it. You keep it clean. But man, I was so proud of that. I still have that bedroom suit. In fact, my son used it from the time he was three years old till he was in the eighth grade. That was his bedroom suit. I still have it. It's it was it's solid wood. The drawers, there the sides of the drawers are that thick, solid wood. The panel in the bottom is not that not that pressed boy. It's a solid piece of oak wood. Uh, wood about that thick. I mean, and it's heavy. <laughs> it's, it's heavy. But man, you've never seen a guy so proud of something in all your life. Now, while I'm telling you all this, to, I want you to notice we were saying it. Yes. And we were under the barrel. I won't tell you, bad time. We then began, dad said, we need to buy this house. Well, in the meantime, he came home one time and we were getting better, and we're getting to have more food, and and it's, it's things is getting real better than they were. And he came home, and he said, "Come on, son." And we, this, I, I guess eighth grade, I was in eighth grade. Things really starting to pick up. That's when the, when when we got that house, is when things really started to pick up. And so now I. Uh, we go up to the grocery store, and he goes there at this Highland Market, and they used to, 
the meat wasn't like the, it is today. Uh, these guys, these older ones, know you have to go back there and they cut your steaks or they cut your bologna. You know, if you want some bologna, ask them. They asked you how thick you wanted it, and they cut it. So he had him. He had cut four T-bone steaks. I never had. I, ne I never had a steak in my life. And so he brought it, and we ate it. It was man. It was my first steak I ever. I still like steak. <laughs> And and so and we were gonna buy that we were gonna buy that house. And actually we walked around the lot saying, This this is our house. We say this is our house. And we started saying it. Because she said it wasn't for sale. Oh yeah, she said it wasn't for sale. That's right, thank you, friend. But dad said they don't know it, but it's for sale. <laughs> we're gonna buy this house. Amen. And we kept saying it and I'm, I, I don't know, I was, I was, he got, he was been down in, he's down in Port Arthur preaching, and Brother Wood had gone down there and pastored, and he's down there preaching for him, and he drove in that night, Friday night after church, and I don't know, he got in sometime in the wee hours in the morning, and uh, I got up, and I was outside doing something, and I came in, and he, he said, hey, get my briefcase, and he told me to. He said, get me the briefcase. I said, well, I got the briefcase. He said, open it up. And I said, and he said, see your envelope? I said, yeah. And he said, I said, well, open it up. And I opened it up and I pulled money out. I realized his money is hundred. I never seen I never seen anything bigger than a twenty dollar bill in my life. And he said, count them. I counted out ten of them, thousand dollars. That was we had been saying it for our down payment. That's what it was. And he said, I was leaving the parking lot and, and I saw a lady running and I stopped and she came over and she said, Brother Hagen, are you going to buy a house? And dad said, yeah, I'm going to buy a house. I said, well, here, here's your down payment. And Amen. turned around and walked off. <laughs> now, I mean, you know, we, we were starting to really, it's starting really to pick up. Now, dad, you probably heard him talking about we living at that first place that I talked about when we moved to Garland. He had to sell his car. Anybody ever heard him tell that? He sold the car and he hitchhiked or rode, a bu rode the bus preaching? Well, he did. Well, Brother Wood got him a new car and he had this 49 Oldsmobile and I, I, to this day, I don't know whether he gave it to Dad or whether Dad bought it from him. Anyway, we got it. Well, he had driven that thing all over preaching. It had over a hundred, well over a hundred thousand miles on it, and <clears throat> it was falling apart. And so, I'd heard him say a couple of times, "I'm getting a new car," and I guess he had been confessing it. He didn't, he didn't ever say anything about it. So he was preaching over in Fort Worth, and so he come. He come in after service on Friday night. He drove home because we were there. And uh, I got up and I, 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 I went outside. I was going to go mow the yard. And there sat, a, there sat a 53 98 Oldsmobile in the drive, in the, that, well, that driveway. It went down and it went like that. And the garage was back here. And it, he was sitting there. <clears throat> and I went back in the house and I said, Whose car is that? He said, that's my car. 
I said, oh, no, somebody let you borrow it. He said, no, it's my car. And one of the men in the church had a dealership, and uh, he took Dad's car in on trade on that car and give him, I don't know how much he gave him for it. And uh, Dad found out later that he took that car to the junkyard. That's how bad it was. But he gave him money for it. But anyway, that's, that's part of another. And so, and I will say this. Amen. It was a 5398 Oldsmobile, the first car. That, that's the, one of the first ones that had air conditioning. And they just come up, they just, they just come up through the back like that and it just blowed out. It's a little plastic deal. And uh, man, that was a neat car. And from that day to the day he went home to be with the Lord, September 19th, 2003, if he wanted a new car, he always had one. Amen. And we just, we, did, we just kept saying, kept saying, whatever we needed, we kept saying, and we kept saying, and we kept saying. I'll tell you this, we went, we got to the point he bought, he was able to buy a a house trailer, a Spartan house trailer. And my, my sister and I, we, we took my, my sophomore year in high school and her freshman year, we took what they call homeschool. Back then it was called correspondence school. And we, we went to California and traveled all over the state of California preaching. And, uh, but while we was out there, he was able to get a, uh, we pulled it out there with that old mobile, Oldsmobile, but he was able to get a truck, a Chevrolet truck with granny four-speed with the granny in it and the floor. He paid $1,700 for that truck, brand new. That's what cars stock. Back in that day, they called, they didn't cost what they did today. But anyway, uh, so now he had loaned them some money to a family friend, and when we got to this place, Back, we were coming back down to Los Angeles, and we got El Monte, California. That's where they were supposed to meet us there and pay the money. Well, we got there and set up, and Mom cooked the last money, last meal we had in the in the trailer. There wasn't nothing else in there. Well, they didn't they didn't show, and they didn't pay, and Dad didn't have, we didn't have any money. Well, I knew that we were going to start the meeting the next day and Sunday, and I knew that they had, that they had, they had uh, take us out to eat. So we, I knew we'd get to eat, and so we got Sunday noon. We went out to eat. We had church Sunday night, and I thought, well, maybe they'll take us out, but they didn't. <laughs> now, what we had done after we ate the meal, and we knew that's all, Dad said, okay, let's greet hands, and we say, we say, that we're going to we have groceries. We thank you for groceries. And he said, you, we just kept saying it. Well, Monday, come and uh, we, there wasn't no breakfast, so we just said, we thank you for our food. And he went and taught, and he came back. Usually, Mom would cook while he'd go to church. He'd teach his 10 o'clock service, and then she'd fix food. We'd eat, and then he'd help us with our school lessons. But we didn't have no food to eat, so we just sat down at the table, and we said, we said, said, I want you to notice, all of this deals with saying. We said, 
Thank you for, for our food, Lord. Yes. Well, by Tuesday, this 15-year-old, six-foot-tall <laughs> teenager, my dad said I had hollow legs. <laughs> I was skinny, just like my, my boys are now. I, I graduated from high school at 6'2 and weighed 145 pounds soaking wet. But they used to say, I would, I would tackle, I played some football, and they'd say, Hagen, Hagen, Hagen will hit anybody. He, he don't care if they're 200 pounds or fullback. He'll try to tackle them. And I said, I won't try, I will. <laughs> but that was just me. And so I'm really getting hungry, and I'm starting to say, I, I'm saying it about every five minutes. I'm saying, <laughs> thank you for the food. Well, he come back Wednesday, and we did it. We and and we studied, and then he would he would always go back and rest in the afternoon, get ready for his night service. And I'm sitting there reading a history book, and I hear a truck. I hear a car. I thought I looked out the window. It's a pickup truck. The whole back bed of that pickup truck was full. Now the you kids don't know nothing about it, but they used to have big paper sacks at the grocery store, and you could put a lot in there. Well, that whole bed was full, crammed. I mean, they were crammed, and some sitting on top full of those paper sacks. And I could tell it was groceries. I went and knocked on the door and said, Dad, a guy just pulled up in a pickup out there, and he's got a truckload of groceries. And about that time, a door knocked knock on the door, and... Uh, well, actually, I he knocked on the door first, and then I went and told Dad. Dad come to the door and said, Brother Hagin, on Sunday, the Lord began to deal with me that you needed groceries, but I knew you didn't need any. But today, it got so bad, I couldn't stand it. So here, here's a whole truckload of grass groceries. <laughs> My dad didn't say, he just said, well, man, thank you, man, brother. Praise the Lord. Thank you. We really appreciate it. He didn't tell him anything. But I said that because, listen, when God tells you something, obey. You don't know. You might think they don't. You don't know. You see, he, if he would have done what God told him, we wouldn't have went two days without food. But you ain't ever seen a kid help unload a truck. <laughs> the man, the minute, the minute I started unloading, Mama started getting skillets out and stuff. I got it. I started peeling potatoes. <laughs> I will tell you, I was hungry. But we said it. The secret I want you to get a hold of is everything we got, and we come to where we are now. Is through saying it. Yeah. I, I lived it with him. He did it. He come off the bed of affliction by saying it. If you've heard his testimony. I lived that with him. We said it. Every, we got, and we are where we are today. The family is where we are today. These boys, my grandsons, are where they are today because their great-grandfather learned the secret of saying and receiving. That's what the Bible says. Somebody said, oh, I don't believe all that. I don't care whether you believe it or not. I lived it, and it happened. I was there. Okay? But let me tell you something. You need, you need, to, you need to get a hold of this and begin to speak it. Say it. 
I want to read this Mark eleven twenty three from the uh, Johnson paraphrase. Truly anyone who speaks to that mountain yonder and saying, dump yourself in the lake and does, this is what I want you to get, <clears throat> and does not become separated from the statement he makes, that person will actualize his statement. Amen. Does not become separated from the statement, from what you say. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. There will be everything under the sun that will come to you to keep you from saying it. I've been there. Back there when we first started it, I would go, I would say, well, wait a minute. We're saying this and nothing's happening. And dad would say, son, keep saying it. 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 Don't become separated from the statement. You got to speak to your mountain of debt. You got to speak to your mountain of sickness. You got to speak to your mountain of rejection. You got to speak to your mountain of, uh, of guilt or family trouble or unemployment or whatever the mountain is. You got to speak to it. Now, I want to, I want to close this. I hope, I hope that you've understood what I was trying to get across to you. But sometimes you, if you people can see it better if you tell a story like I just told you. That was my life. That's what I lived. Okay? In the early part of the last century, a man by the name of Mallory organized an expedition of climbers to climb Mount Everest. They failed. He organized a second group, and they failed. He organized a third group of the most experienced mountain climbers in the world. And they were almost to the peak, and an avalanche came and killed Mallory and most of the party. Later, at a banquet for in honor of those that had died on that mountain and the survivors. They were there at the banquet. They introduced the head of the survivors and he turned around to a picture of Mount Everest and he pointed at it and he said, Mountain, you defeated us once, you defeated us twice, you defeated us three times but you will be conquered. He said it. He conquered it. Many other people have since then. I did all of that to say to you, you're going to have to speak to your mountain. Now, what I want you to do right now is think of a mountain. Now, I'm talking about something that you need, a mountain that's in your life. Now, I realize some of you got a whole mountain range. <laughs> but we're going we're to speak to the mountain. We're going to speak to the mountain. I want you to get your mountain right now. Think about what your mountain is. I want you to stand up. I'm going to lead you first in a prayer. 
when I get to a certain part, you're going to have to put your mountain in there. I don't know what your mountain is. Okay? Yes, All right? Yes. You ready? Yes. You ready to speak to your mountain? Yes. Yeah. All right? Put, raise your hand. Say this. Heavenly Father, you said in your word that if I had a mountain, that I could speak to that mountain. And that mountain would have to go. I believe the word in my heart. I believe that I can speak to my mountain. And it has to go. Now, mountain of, now you put it in. You put your mountain in there. You talk mountain of, you put the mountain, you tell whatever your mountain is, whatever it is. And don't be afraid for somebody else to hear you. Sometimes people are afraid for somebody to hear them. No, keep saying it. Keep saying it. Say it to the mountain. I say to you, mountain, you got to go. I say, mountain of whatever it is, you got to go. Mountain of whatever it is, you put, the, you put it in there, whatever it is, you got to go. Thank you. Now raise your hands and thank God. Thank God for the mountain. The mountain has to go. In the name of Jesus, the mountain has to go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I speak to that mountain. Hallelujah. All right. Now, let me tell you this. The enemy is going to do everything he can to separate you from your statement. You've got, whether you can feel it, see it, or whatever, you just got to keep saying it. And you keep saying it. And you keep saying it. And you keep saying it. I mean, we, we, we said it for a long time before some of this stuff come to, come to pass. But if you'll say it and believe it, you'll have it. I've done it. I've done it with building Rama from six acres and two buildings to 110 acres and 20 buildings. I've done it with our personal lives. When I first come off of the road to start Rama, we didn't, we didn't have money to do anything. But we kept saying, Rama, you God, you told us to do it. You're going to supply the need. And it was, there was two, about two rough years that were really rough. We didn't, we didn't buy anything. We, whatever we bought, money we had, we used it on the kids. But we kept saying it. We kept saying it. We say, we say, we, we confess every day. I confess things. I confess money for coming into Raymond. Coming into Raymond now. And I confess a thousand students at Raymond. Because we can, we can handle a thousand students and it won't, it won't cost any more than it's costing right now. Over here won't be any more. I confess it every day. Yes. Now we're going to sing a little song. It was written, this song was written by Clinton Utterbaugh. He's a Raymond grad. He used to go and sing in dad's meetings. And he, he passed, he's been helping today. He, he's a great singer and songwriter. He pastored church in New York, Clinton Sarah Utterbach. In the early years at camp meeting, he used to sing back in the 70s. Has anybody ever heard Brother Clinton there? Yeah, you've heard Brother Clinton sing. Hey, young man. All right, let's sing it. So I say to the mountain, move. 
first went to California that they were just pulling a house trailer they were just starting to build the interstates and we stopped we had to stop many times because they would drill holes in the side of the mountain pack it with a charge and then they would set it off and then they would scoop it out do the same thing again and do the same thing again and the Lord gave me this after, I don't know, I just, he just reminded me. He said, every time you speak to the mountain, it's just like them blowing part of it off. Every time you speak to the mountain, you're blowing part of it off. So just keep saying, just keep saying, just keep saying. Hallelujah. Bow your heads for just a moment. I never like to do a service that I don't give somebody an opportunity to find Jesus or to rededicate their life to God. You know, a lot of people.